Hello, and welcome to the show Gold Squadron Gays. It's the podcast where two Star Wars loving gays break down each episode of their favorite Star Wars TV shows while also being gay as hell. I'm your host, Bradley Brower. I'm your other host, Charles Rogers, and uh, that was a lot for episode one. Oh boy. It was a lot. Uh, yesterday, you all heard episode one. Um, and so Either we, yesterday or two days ago. Uh, we, we took a very whole entire. We took a whole entire uh, day and a half off to not record this. It wasn't immediately after, so we definitely went back. We definitely uh, are not marathon recording episodes <laughs> one and two. You know, if they were gonna, re- if they would just release them in a regular order, then we wouldn't have to do this. But I, here we are. Yeah, or you know, it would have been super. You know, would have been super nice is if uh, we had gotten the screeners. You know what? That would that, that would have would been have, super nice. You know what? Moving forward, uh, I need to Lucas talk to Film, some. Pe- I need to talk to some people because if they're going to hand out screeners for things, right? They're, they're going to hand out screeners for things. It would be super nice to have those episodes recorded. Yeah, can you imagine if we had just already recorded all of our three episodes? We could have had it done. We could have had, had it done. Ready to go. And I would have just released it great. as I wanted to. Like, it's been like, I could have made bam. all the TikToks. I could have done everything. Maybe I need to talk to some people because we did not get screened for yeah, we the first three episodes of Andor. And it we would have been for super sure helpful if we had gotten those screeners. Look, here's the that thing. That would have been I real nice. I won't hold it against them if they give us the screeners for Ahsoka. What's next? Is Ahsoka next? It's got to be the, oh, Mando 3 is next. Mando but, 3. But... I'm saying if you give if you give us the screeners for Ahsoka, all will be forgiven. Okay, yes, because that's those screeners. You know, yeah, because yes. I mean, yes, Mando three is exciting, and well, I'm, I'm excited for it. But that's not something that I'm like. Well, Endor was the first show they handed you know. out screeners at all. But they didn't send out screeners to the press, right? For that at all. And I don't mm. know if they'll do it for Mando three because I, doubt I feel like it. the show's already established. I think they only do it for new shows, or they'll have to do it for new shows because they, they won't. might send out. They might send them out for Skeleton Crew. Yeah, we'll see. Anyway, anyway. the point is, I'm exhausted. Let's do them on Mothma Minute so we can get into this episode. Now, fortunately, we've introduced most of the characters already in episode yes. one. It's about an hour and a half long episode, and I swear about thirty minutes of it was just discussing actors. So for our Mon Mothma minute today, because she does not appear in episodes one through three, I have highlighted the second of three Mon Mothma adjacent stories about her that you may not have read or revisited recently. The one I picked today was called Contingency Clan. It is her short story from the From a Certain Point of View, 45th anniversary celebration of A New Hope. Uh, it tells where she was during the Battle of Yavin. I'm not gonna talk about it for an extended period of time because I do not want to spoil it. It's toward the end of the book, the whole book is super worth reading. My favorite story is probably the Sith of Data work from the early part of it. Uh, but it does a good job of addressing a lot of plot things in the book and also getting ahead of some of the characters who weren't there. Dr. Afra shows up. But the Mon Mothma one at the end of the book uh, is called Contingency Plan. It is about her on the shuttle leaving, and it is excellent. I won't spoil it, but you should definitely read it. It works so well with Rogue One. And that was about there are 57 seconds. Nice. Your Mon Mothma minutes are are pretty solid. They're pretty uh pretty. They're regular. solid. They're solid so far. We'll we'll wait and see what she gets on the show. <laughs> I was gonna say wait until she actually appears. Wait until she's show, here, and let's see what actually happens with your Mon Mothma. I mean, we might have to cut you off at some point because it might be like that. I'm but. timing them very carefully. I'm timing them very carefully to make sure that I don't go over one minute for my Mon Mothma minutes. This week we're talking about Andor episode two. That would be me. Cassian attempts to lay low on Ferrix as agents of the law close in. 
Charles, what is one thing you liked about this episode and one thing you did not? So one thing that I really liked about this episode, my thing I liked and my thing I didn't like are going to go hand in hand. And unfortunately, you cannot necessarily do anything about either. My thing that I liked was that this is a show that is not afraid to slow down and really dig into the characters. That it doesn't feel like somebody has to pull a blaster and get into a gunfight every single episode. That we can slow down and take some time with Cassian and Bix and Cyril to really build up where we're going in episode three. However, my thing I dislike was that I feel like this episode didn't do a lot of introducing and it didn't do a lot of wrapping up plot point. It was a very middle chapter, which is fine. It is the middle chapter of the three arc thing. Right. But I also felt like it was a lot of maneuvering the people into place for all hell to break loose in the third episode. I don't think any of it could have been skipped or cut. I do, however, think that given the length of the episodes, like maybe it could have been two episodes instead of three. Like you could have very easily chopped this episode in half, stuck half of it on the end of the first one and stuck the other half on the beginning of the the third one. Uh, So I like that it's slowing down. I think this episode with regards to the formula that they've set up, probably the the lowest stakes episode of the three. What about you? One thing you liked and one thing you didn't. I didn't really have anything that stood out to me that I like about this episode. Like it was very, like you said, middle of the road, average bridge episode there wasn't anything where i was like oh fuck like this is amazing you know what i mean i'll say i like the character of marva i think she was really good in the role um i think that character is needed um, we'll get to who that actress is right i don't i don't want to go too much into who she is but i thought the person did really well and then i thought she was a great character because she does something in this episode where she introduces a, a something about the character that we didn't know before and is important to his plot it gets more uh in detail in the third episode but it starts introducing this idea in this episode where you're like huh he's more than just randomly in this one movie she introduces even more depth to a character that already had depth yes but it's just it's piling on and i do think that's something with a lot of characters in this is every one of them that interacts with cassian brings something new out of the character Right. That they they there's not a lot of instances or any instances at all, really, where characters that interact with Cassian aren't bringing out something that we haven't seen before. Right. And the thing I did not like was how short this episode felt. Yes, so, tell us how short this episode was, Bradley. So rough math uh, without title sequence and credits, it was approximately 30 minutes exactly, which is like a comedy like is not a drama like there is no way that you could do a solid drama 30 minutes like i just there's something about the structure of a drama that you just can't do that like i don't know there's a reason tv dramas are typically 45 right and this episode was missing 15 minutes of content it felt like it truly was i mean i can't tell you exactly what the content was that it was missing (laughs) But I knew, like, I felt it was missing. Like, it was just so short. I was like, whoa, that's over? Like, already? Like, when the credits rolled, I was like, whoa, what is happening? I was like, that's the end. On to the next one. Yeah, they were like, oh, you want to watch the end of the actual episode, which is the third part? Then here you go. Like, that's really what it kind of did. Anyway, that's what I didn't like. All righty. 
Well, take us into the episode. All right. Well, we begin in the past as a young Cassian and the Canari tribe make their way to the fallen ship. In the present, as the town wakes up, Tim reads a bulletin about the authority seeking a Canari male. Cassian visits Marva and she reminds him to maintain his cover story. Later, Cassian visits Bix and tells her about the incident. So I mentioned in the first episode how how all of these are, are real sets uh, and real locations that they're shooting on. And one thing I really want to highlight is the forest scene where the Canari kids are moving through the forest and you see them interacting with the trees and jumping over logs and stepping on things. And it, it has such a, a, a unique feel to it that's different than the stuff we've seen before with the volume, that it feels like they're in a large forest and moving through it. Right. And that you get a sense of how the trees feel. You get a sense of how it smells. You get a sense of being in the wood, which I think you just don't get from these computer-generated sets if the characters aren't there to interact with it. Uh, also, so I just started replaying because I never finished it and the sequel just got announced. But I started replaying Breath of the Wild oh. and the bit where they're walking through the forest and they walk by the overgrown machinery for some reason gives me big Breath of the Wild vibes. Interesting. Oh, you mean the shot of him and he can see the entire... Uh, no, but we'll get thing. to that. There's a bit where they start oh. walking by machinery and the forest is like overtaking it. Oh, okay. That's, that's funny I'm you said that. To. So like literally the opening sequence of Breath of the Wild is where he runs out onto the, the hill and he overlooks all of Hyrule. And like that's and it's like a similar shot. Yeah, it's like the similar it's shot. very similar to... I was like, oh, huh. I, I love the shot where he runs up <clears> to the quarry. But you look out and you get the a quarry, shot of the yeah. quarry. And yeah, it was in the trailer. So the impact is lessened somewhat. But... Yeah. But I like it because there was no context before. And now there's That's some true. context. And I feel like it it's still pretty impressive. I will say, though, as this story is progressing, this past uh, flashback story is progressing, I was getting a sense of like, this is kind of how the Phasma show would feel. Oh, my God, you're so right. Like, this is kind of, kind of. I mean, in the sense of a tribe-esque like, group and then some kind of derelict planet that is either uninhabitable or poisonous or something like i was like oh this is phasma just without the desert like this is what it is like i was like okay this is what i'm getting and i'm like maybe they're giving oh, us a yeah preview. i didn't even realize that but i i dig it i dig it a lot this is this is where i started feeling that and i just wanted to bring that up uh, you you will just take any opportunity to bring up captain phasma oh yeah especially if i think that there's even a chance that they'll even do that story. So, uh, I mean, Gwendolyn Christie is down to play more Phasma. So she's there. Just Let's use her, please. Do you want to talk about who you, who our time grappler is? Um, okay. Does I anyone want to shout this dude out? Um, I have a really hilarious little mini section about this. Um, so the finding out that his name was the time grappler and the IMDb, like, I'm sorry, the IMDb needs to fix the way that they do the cast of tv shows and they need to put like not just that they were in one episode they need to say which episode they were in it like immediately like i get it like the show just came out so it's not like perfectly segmented yet but i need to know like everything like immediately when i'm doing my notes and so that's why this is so annoying Drop, to shop, figure Wikipedia, out get on it we were talking the other night about bradley and i are already stressed out trying to get our notes done because it literally we are recording this on friday everything dropped on wednesday 
Uh, we were recording this on Friday, and I was like, I can't even imagine how stressful it must be to be an editor at Wikipedia right now, right. desperately trying to get everything updated it, and edited, yeah. because every podcast in the world is going to be trying to use Wikipedia for their resource. And actually, I uh, another mini part is when uh, I was finishing up my notes for this um, this episode, I was on Wikipedia, obviously, and the Wikipedia article for this uh episode just kind of ends and I was like I was like did they finish writing the Wikipedia I was like is this over and then when I went back and I was watching the episode I was like oh no it just ends <laughs> it just this like ends right here. That just ends. I know I just thought that was really funny because I thought they hadn't finished and I was like Wikipedia didn't finish the damn like <laughs> entry <laughs> I was like it was just really funny um anyway but we never got an answer who's playing the time right. grappler so that was funny too, because I didn't know what Time Grappler was uh, until I figured it out. But Time Grappler or the guy banging the bell in the town is played by Neil Bell. Which I thought was very funny. Ha ha ha. The only notable thing that I wrote down that he was in was Dune. So yes. that was very important he was because the obviously. Sardakar Bashir Bashar in Dune. He looks like a, a bad guy. Yeah. He's in Enola Holmes. I just thought that was very important because obviously Star Wars is basically based on Dune. So what's interesting about this guy is he has only been acting for 21 years and he has 65 credits. Hmm. Is he? He's British though, right? It looks like he's British. British. Yeah. So there you go. The Brits just love just getting in there and just making some content. Well, yeah. The thing is, if you're a TV actor in Britain, you'll inevitably show up in everything. Everything. Yeah. Yep. So here's another fun fact about that anvil. Somebody informed me, and I have this secondhand. Uh, I did not check this myself. Someone informed me that the narration for this episode, if you're listening to it with the um, accessibility narration on, Mm -hmm. describes this as a Beskar anvil. Weird. Yes. Okay. So the only reason why I was even watching this with subtitles is because for character names, I mean, I, I always watch the later. subtitles, but this <clears throat> is apparently the the accessibility narrations described that's as a Beskar anvil. Interesting. That makes it better to me, but that's a huge chunk of Beskar. Just, that's what I said. I was like, that sure is a huge chunk of Beskar we've got going on there. Huh. Hmm. Maybe uh, Beskar is not super rare yet at this point. Or they just don't know what Hard it is. Maybe. Say, yeah, but that, I thought that was really interesting. That they had just big chunk of Beskar just sitting there. Right, very expensive piece of metal just chilling at the top of a bell tower. But okay. Well, yeah, maybe because all the Mandalorian armor is made from it, so maybe maybe it's easier to get. But then it's like sacred to them. So the question is like, how did they get this giant piece of Beskar? Hmm. There's a story here. There, there's definitely. But I a, don't know a what side it is. comic. I don't know what it is, but it's there. Explain to me how the anvil got there. I do want to shout out, we're going to shout out some crew members this episode. Okay. And I want to shout out Nicholas Bertel's score Mm. for the show. Okay. This is such a weird score, but it's so good. I feel like this score does what the, the techno music dark trooper thing in Mando wanted to do. It's something that's weird and different, but still very Star Wars. Yeah, I was going to say, if you, you'll notice it the most 
when you finish the episode. I don't know if anybody, if you want to fast forward to the end of the episode, just watch the last scene of this episode. And Cassian's like walking through like a field of workers or something. And the music is so hard. Like it's going like so hard. It's like almost like rock and roll. It's like, like, and you're like, when the credits roll, you're like a drum percussion thing. And I'm like, good Lord. This is going way harder than it needs to, but also like just the right level of hard. For sure. So Cassian visits uh, Marva Andor. Do you want to talk about who's playing Marva Andor? Yeah, absolutely. So Marva is played by Fiona Shaw. You may know her from little films such as Harry Potter. Um, she plays Aunt Petunia in Harry Potter. That's what I know her from. She's also Fuck in J.K. True... Rowling. She was in True Blood. She was in the show Killing Eve. Um, she's she's been around the block. And so I You've seen this woman. You've before. seen this woman. Yeah, you've you definitely have seen her. Seen before. this woman before. Even if you can't identify where you've seen this woman before, you have seen this woman before. One hundred percent. And she's great, uh, playing an absolutely fantastic Marva. I love how just like messy of a person Cassian is, because he shows up and he's like, "Oh yeah, you know, I was I was out with uh, doing stuff and couldn't get home." And Marva's like, "You are so full of shit." Right. Uh, he's trying to do way, like his cover. Someone story. knows about Canari. Is it one of your fucking women right. that you're running around with? Yeah, he's like, she's like, you're telling one of your lovers again, like where you're really from. <laughs> Which begs the question, how many women uh does at Cassie least leave four. with? Right. At least four. <laughs> she lists off at least four. There's three that she lists off, and we know Bix, because yep. B2 right. says Bix there later on. I want to talk about the fest thing. Okay. So Marva mentions, and then later in the episode, it is mentioned that um, or earlier in the episode, no, later in this episode, sorry, it will be mentioned that all of Cassie's paperwork says he comes from fest in reference books for rogue one his homeworld is genuinely listed as fest however andor reveals that that is a lie right it's a cover story so rather than saying no he's actually from canari and we're just overriding the previous reference books they took the extra step to work it in as a plot point right that fest was a lie so not only did they acknowledge the previous iterations of it but then they turned around and said, we're going to make this part of the plot. Mm-hmm. I love that for him. I think that's such an interesting thing because I talked about being concerned about, you know, interaction with previous stories that had come before. And I this has put that to bed a little bit for me. Uh, still a little concerned about the Gorman massacre. Yeah. But this has put that to bed a little bit. Well, I was going to say, see- this is any indication. You can be like, okay, they clearly... Because they know that this is only 24 episodes of content and we're getting the first 12 this year, they are, they know they have a set goal, a set story they're allowed to tell in a set amount of time. I don't know if they're going to go as crazy as like Mandalorian, where like he can just kind of start making up stuff as he goes along and then kind of course correct throughout the season slash as the show gets more popular or as the show continues. Whereas this show, they know they can't course correct because they only have two seasons to work. So this is just, right. it's got to be planned out. Well, they also have a few things from like reference books and things that have been previously mentioned before. And for the most part, this is lining up exactly with everything we know uh, that was revealed in Rogue One and adaptations of Rogue One and various things of that nature. My only note for the uh, the big sequence where, where she sees the thing and then Tim kind of goes over her shoulder afterwards is just that Tim sucks. 
Um, he does suck. But I did want to mention this scene is this is the first time we see what I call text bubbles on screen in Star Wars. Because oh, yes. In, in shows more recently, in more current shows, um, they like to do this thing where characters are texting each other on the phone. And instead of showing the phone in their hand and showing what they're texting, they like to do this after effects thing where they add the text bubbles near their face or their thought. It's like right in their this, field of vision. This could be my 2012-ish to 2014-ish Tumblr brain talking. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I do believe uh, BBC Sherlock was one of the first major shows to do that, where they would have the text bubbles pop up. Right. And I did think it's an interesting choice that they did it because it shows up in Orabesh on the screen. Right. And then we read it. It has to show up in English. Right. Basic. Basic. But it has to show up in the language in which we are watching this in order for us to understand that Tim is reading that they're looking for a canary male. You know what they should have done in this scene? It should have been in Orbesh first, and then it should have like translated as he was reading it. There's so much Arabesh in the show. Like, we haven't even gotten translations in yet at time of recording. I'm sure somebody would go through and do all the Arabesh translations. Ugh, dumb nerds. Can you imagine some nerdy ass I can't imagine being a a dumb nerd who obsesses over everything. I definitely don't have a podcast in which I do that. Ugh, God, what a life. Ah, it's horrible. Horrible life. I, I pity people that have podcasts where they go into minute detail on Star Wars. Look, at least we didn't do a Game of Thrones podcast. Oh, God. Then I then one of us would have to have read the books and like, that's the whole thing. I, I have I have read four of the books. But see, then we couldn't do it because then you're not an expert. You didn't read all the books. You're going to so have to read nerd. the fifth one and, right. uh, and the World of Ice and Fire and Fire and Blood. I have to spoil right. House of the Dragon for myself. Exactly. And nobody wants that. Although I do know the ending of House of the... I know some of the ending of House of the Dragon because I've watched Game of Thrones. I was going to say, I think most people... Well, technically, you know the ending because it takes place before the show. So like, <laughs> it's going to be like, we already know how it technically I know ends. the fates of one of the major characters, the fate of one of the major characters, because uh, I remember it from Game of Thrones. Got it. Anyway, anyway. not a Game of Thrones podcast. Thank God. Moving on. After a bit of light drinking, Tim calls the authority and leaves them a tip about Cassian. Later, Bix stops by and spends the night with Tim. Later in the night, Inspector Karn meets with Sergeant Mosk and they put a plan in motion to avenge the deaths of their colleagues. Uh, I think this is where my 10 sucks note actually went. Ah, okay. Well, either way. Because he sees, so he sees like Bix and Cassian together and Cassian like reaches out and puts his hand and then Tim like fucks off to go screw Cassian over because he's jealous of him or whatever. He's jealous, right. Which is such a shitty thing to do. Like it's absolutely just like a shitty thing to do. But it's also a very human thing to do. Like that's a realistic thing that people who are jealous are going to go for. Because he knows that he's never going to have that same connection that they clearly had at one point that it's not gone away yet. Like, I mean, clearly she has in a sense moved on, but it looks to be that she still cares about him or in some capacity. And Tim is so insecure. Right. That like he, he does not trust her. That is the thing. He does not trust her at all because you know he she's so cagey around him he's always talking about i need to run errands doesn't talk about what she's doing he should still trust her because it's important to trust your romantic partners but it i also find it really interesting that this was the motive for them reporting and then tim does report him and we get this sequence which i really don't really have any notes on where they pull up cassian's like picture and 
Yeah, that's Cyril why I didn't really mention it too much. Except to do the, uh, you know, Cyril as Javert. This is this is our most obvious Cyril as Javert moment so far. You you do know who Inspector Javert is, Bradley. I do not know what that is. Again, you're not a musical theater gay, <laughs> so you don't know Les Miserables. Oh, I've never seen the movie. You don't have to see the movie. How do you not know who Inspector Javert is? Is that Hugh Jackman or is that the other one? No, this is the... Uh, uh, for my literature or musical theater people out there, this is the most Inspector Javert Cyril has gotten so far. So I want to, to say out loud what is happening in this sequence between Bix and Tim. This is a scene in a Star Wars show in which two inebriated people have sex. Again, well, mildly inebriated people have sex. And they're going back to that. This is clearly a more adult show. And the fact that she hits him up for a 3 a.m. booty call. She literally booty calls his ass. And I'm like, and she doesn't just, she doesn't just call him. She just goes up to his, she shows up because she she knows, she knows he'll say yes. No matter what, because that's how much he cares about her. Remember, she said in the first episode, he'd do anything for me. He would do anything for me. That's right. And she knows she has him wrapped around her finger. And that's why she's like, I choose to go do this booty call right now, because that's how yep. it's on her terms. Exactly. It's on her terms. She's like, you know what? I'm stressed out. I've had one or two drinks. I want to bang. Exactly. Cassian is stressing me the fuck out right now. I need to go bang somebody. Shout out to uh, Elzar Man for canonically inventing sex. That's a reference you won't get, Bradley, yet, but we'll we'll get get there. Uh, But for my High Republic people, as Hope would say on J Guys and Jedi, this joke is for Charles alone and no one else. (laughs) So... In the scene where Cyril, I almost just called him Inspector Javert. In the scene where Cyril, they're getting ready to go after him. Uh, they're getting ready to go after Cassian. He, we get a new character who walks up and starts talking to him. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sergeant Linus Moss. Do we want to talk about who's playing Sergeant Linus Moss? Yes. Um, why do I have a different name than that? Sergeant I... Linus Moss. I have Moss, but I don't... Oh, maybe it edited it or something. I have Costex. Because on IMDb, IMDb, it lists him as a Sergeant Costex. Yeah, that's what I have. Is it not that? He's listed as Linus Mosk in the first three episodes and then Sergeant Costex for some reason in the, the back nine. Okay. Well, we will double check that once Wikipedia decides what it wants to call him. Um, Wikipedia does <laughs> identify him as Sergeant Linus Mosk. Linus Mosk. Okay, I'm just going to call him Mosk because it's easier because clearly that's the only name they can decide on. So we're going to call him Sergeant Mosk. Yeah, Mosk is who Wikipedia and the episode identify him as playing okay so we'll call him mosque for future reference i don't know uh, where they got caustic <clears throat> on for imdb friendly yeah. reminder that imdb is they're not wikipedia updated. yeah they are not wikipedia it is user updated but they are not wikipedia mosque is played by alex ferns notably i put he most recently was in the batman Mm-hmm. so most notable to cool. me is he was in an episode of chernobyl oh, okay i thought you were uh, gonna say doctor who for a second <laughs> it's like uh <laughs> i don't know if he was in doctor who it doesn't look like he was in doctor who probably not uh but this is your your regular reminder to please go and watch chernobyl it is on hbo max and it is very 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 fucking good so that's who's playing mosque yeah. i love mosque linus moss he's so shitty but he's egging like egging Cyril on. He's like this right. echo chamber for Cyril to where it's like, finally, somebody who's 
who's listening to me, but he's With, so much more better at this than Cyril is. Because what I'm what I'm gathering from this is that it's because Cyril is not really this person. He thinks he's this person. I think that's where this character is going to change. I think he thinks he's this very like I follow the rules, I'm an important kind of character. And he's going to come to realize that that's not who he actually is. He's actually a scared person. He's very frightened. He does not know what he's doing versus Mosk clearly feels like he knows exactly what he's, he knows the law. He knows what's going on. He knows he's important. He knows that what he's saying is correct. We follow the laws. We don't sweep anything under the rug because I'm the perfect soldier. Like that's who his character is. He's, I mean, like he is giving January six vibes and (laughs) I, but he's clearly coming from the wrong place, right? Like that's, what's so great about his character is that he is, the like you said the echo you know who these two would be best buddies with Breck from episode three of obi-wan kenobi yes they would be like thank you citizen for doing your part nothing nothing wrong with a little order right exactly no it's definitely yeah so i that's why i like this character i think he's perfect because he's the actual extreme right he is the true extremism of what that character is versus what surreal is because he's trying to be that character i think he's not achieve that level he's because trying he's not... so hard and this right. this guy mosk is much more experienced and much more comfortable clearly right in his role i i just love that egging him on in the past the tribe advances on the crash spaceship in the present a mysterious man flies to ferrix bix has to run some errands and cassian talks with b2 and has him go home in the past The Alpha of the tribe checks the bodies of the fallen spaceship. One is alive, however, and shoots her with a blaster. The tribe kills him and takes her body back home. But Cassian stays behind to explore the ship. Sorry, that was really confusing because in this section, they kind of jump a little bit. They There's a short scene where the tribe is kind of walking towards the spaceship and then it kind of goes back to the actual like current time. And then it's like, so was, okay, just kidding. I was wondering where the fuck you got the word alpha from. It was from IMDb. I don't know. It's from that's IMDb. Actually, I don't know if that's actually what she's called. She's just the clearly the it, group maybe leader. That's, it's maybe that's, <laughs> that's what she's credited as. I would have to double right. check, but that's what she, they're listed as alphas. Alphas number alpha. one, three through six on right on on, uh, imdb so that's what we're going with right with art for argument's sake she's the alpha she's the leader of the tribe i that's just kind of like where i was getting that i thought you were doing some teen wolf bullshit no 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 i'm Um, telling you one of these days one of these days we're gonna do that teen wolf rewatch podcast we'll see how good the movie is it'll be our own personal mystery spot cast if if the movie is any good or if it's just garbage then that'll determine whether or not i want to do it because then it'll give me something to look forward to covering (laughs) oh god i know we talked about that on our tiktok live i would be so interested so interested to do a rewatch of that show but that's neither here nor there uh i have a specific note actually that that my only real note for the the past sequence here before we jump back present for a little bit is i do want to shout out all the kid actors we're not going to go through all of them but they're all fantastic they're doing a great job uh i was gonna say i didn't write any of their names down but you're right they're doing a good job except for the ones playing tassa and his sister right which we talked about in 
episode one, but shout out to them. They're doing a fantastic job. Let's talk about who's playing Luthan Rail. Oh, you want to talk about him now? I want to talk about him now because this is the point where he shows up. Okay. I will skip to my notes on him. Tell us about who's flying down to the surface and who we get our first look at. Cool. So Luthan Rail is played by Stellan Skarsgård. Stellan Skarsgård has our first Disney trifecta of the season. Woo! So he is, and that makes sense because he's a very As important well character. deserved. He has 152 right. acting credits. Now he has been in so much, it's very hard actually to pick the things that were his Disney trifecta. So I just kind of threw them in there, but obviously Andor's is Star Wars. He's He was in, uh, most notably, Pirates of the Caribbean as Davy Jones. It's like his big kind of Disney. Uh, no, he was, um, he was. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Not David Jones. You're right. Uh, he was Will Bill Turner. He's on David <clears throat> Jones's shit. Right. Sorry, I got confused. He's also in the Cinderella live action movie. He's he's done a couple of things. His Marvel thing is actually he's in all the Thor movies. He plays Doctor whatever in the Eric movies. Selvig. Selvig. Uh, right. Go listen to our friends. He's in three of the four Thor movies. He is not in Thor Ragnarok, oh, right. uh, but he is in he is in Thor Avengers, Thor the Dark World, Avengers Age of Ultron, and uh, then again in briefly in Thor Love and Thunder as Dr. Eric Selvig. Go listen to our friends over at Marvelous Divas. They have covered Thor, Avengers, and Thor the Dark World already. Uh, And they just shouting out our friends over there. Go check them out. There you go. So he's been in quite a few things, but he does have our first Disney trifecta, um, which is awesome. And he has a true Disney trifecta because all the things he's been in are live action. I mean, we don't say that that's like a rule, but technically that's like a... He has a Disney trifecta trifecta without technicalities right exactly like there is a we we play fast and loose with the disney trifecta rules like because you can have a a hybrid disney trifecta where you have some cartoon and then some live action but i think what we would call the technical true disney trifecta is where you physically appear in all three or you voice something in a mainline disney film exactly like it's it's a there's a difference between something that was produced by disney which will get you a technical disney trifecta or a disney movie Movie, Stellan right. Skarsgård was in in Pirates of the Caribbean. I want to right. shout out some other things that he's been in real fast. Uh, sure. He's a lead actor on our show, so I'm going to take the extra time to do that. Uh, he's in Dune as Baron Vladimir Harkonnen. Mm, he is in five episodes of Chernobyl, uh, the series I mentioned earlier, uh, where our Linus Mosk is from. He's one of the main characters. He plays Boris Sherbina. Uh, he's in the Mamma Mia movies. Love that. Scrolling down to see if those are the big ones that I wanted to mention. Cool. Uh, but he's in, you scroll down this man's IMDb page and and he has had just a legendary career. So it is absolutely fucking awesome to get him in Star Wars. And he's playing a, a fairly major role in the series, which is amazing. I love that journey for him. And I love that we're finally getting a Skarsgård in uh, Star Wars. Yes, which is... This should have happened a long time ago, but, and I'm also glad it's this Skarsgård. <laughs> right. This, this uh, if anybody has Star Wars vibes, it's this Skarsgård. Right so here, there's a lot of Skarsgård siblings and parents and all there's that There's a stuff, lot right? of Skarsgård men. I want to sleep with most of them. I want, personally, I, don't get me wrong. I love Stellan and I think he's great in this. I think the other ones would work, Bill and Alexander would work so well in Star Wars that they need to hurry up and get on this track too because obviously season two let's go like let's go like they can play whatever they want to play honestly 
they can play some really good characters and we'll speculate on another show uh what they could play but i just like i don't have time for that right now because they could literally play a bunch of different characters but get them on this show if they're not already planned it needs to happen so the the subtitles mention that this is a droid from fondor the planet of fondor uh, that's just interesting to me because Fondor is a pretty major planet. I'm going to make sure I say the canon stuff right. It was a huge shipyard in Legends. It was brought back to be a huge shipyard in canon. Uh, it's appeared in quite a few different things. Uh, it's appeared in Star Wars Battlefront 2. I believe that was its first like canonical reconfirmation, but it's mentioned in Tarkin. It's mentioned in the From a Certain Point of View for the Empire Strikes Back, Squadrons. It's mentioned in Allegiance in the sequel trilogy era. So it's it, it just is a neat planet. I like mentioning planets. So the mention that this droid in the ship is probably from Fondor is our first clue that this guy is more important than he seems, which based on the trailers, we're going to find out how important this guy actually is. But he is able to afford a ship from one of the best shipyards in the galaxy. Okay. In Legends, this would probably be a co-op drive yard ship, which we don't have time to get into. My man is committed to his job. And I mean, like, I'm talking about the dude who, like, hits the anvil. Mm, I yes. want to have a job that I'm as committed to as that man is committed to his job. I like the way he prepares himself right before he does it. He goes, he takes one breath, like he goes, <gasps> and then he does it. Like <laughs> He like psychs himself up to do it. It's yep. like, that is so cool. I mean, you would kind of have to if he's the first person basically waking up in the morning every single day. Like, I mean, I know other people are still technically awake because we see them walking around, but like he's like, he's the rooster of the town, you know, he like, yeah, it's, it's his job to wake people up. So he's got to be the earliest one up i just shout out shout out to him shout out to that guy. just being committed to his job is the entire alarm clock for the town <laughs> so the there's a sequence where bix wakes up in like some guy's bed mildly hungover mm-hmm. when the light's streaming in and i have right. noted same bix damn she's like give me some coffee damn it <laughs> her reaction is my reaction which is i need coffee immediately who among us has not woken up randomly in someone they know's bed. True. Also, someone who is uh, clearly the person you slept with the night before is staring at you sleeping. That is a bit weird. Up. That is a bit weird. It uh, has like I'm afraid to lose you vibes. Like so, I have to spend well, he, every waking. He moment knows like, at this you. point. So like he screwed up by reporting Cassian to the Pinkertons because Stop he thought that. that there was something going on. No, Stop I will saying not. That. That's not I the terminology not. for them. So you're I don't confuse care. Me. I don't care. Get confused. Learn your history, Bradley. So he reported Cassian to the security people. The corpo cop, the corpo yeah. security or whatever they're called. Mm-hmm. He feels, then he realizes that no, she actually did like him. And oops, he did a bad thing. Uh, I think this may be our first mention in live action of Calf. I believe it was mentioned in Rebels, if I recall. Let me mm. let me check this. I actually need to check this. If you remember our Mon Mothma minute from last week, I recommended you watch the episode Secret Cargo. Uh, and Calf is apparently mentioned in the episode Secret Cargo, or it's present on screen. Nice. That is also mentioned or present, I can't tell from the Wikipedia, on the episode Out of Darkness. Um, mostly it looks like it mainly just shows up in books or comics. Uh, it okay. shows up in Phasma. Maybe that's where I remember it from. That's where, you've like... heard, that's where you've probably heard it before, but it's right, also... Cause... 
Interesting. Yeah, of the things I know you've read, it's also mentioned in Ahsoka, oh, which I know okay. you've read. It's mentioned yeah. in Thrawn, which I know you've read. Okay, so uh, it's mentioned in books. Got it. It's mentioned in basically every book ever. Cool. Uh, but this okay. may be our first live action calf. Interesting. Well, maybe that means that's a trend moving forward that uh, coffee always makes an Easter egg appearance in every Star Wars movie. Yes, uh, we need more coffee drinker representation in Star Wars. <laughs> uh, I would again die for B2. Yes, he's That's so my cute. Note. I also- want to talk about Cassian's room. Okay. But before I do that, go ahead with whatever you were saying. Oh, I was I was just mentioning the part where, you know, I what I liked was he's like, hurry up and go home before she notices you're gone or she looks for you. And literally it immediately cuts to V2, where are you? Like where where the oh, hell are, yeah. are you, dumb Roomba? Like, where are you? <laughs> like <laughs> like and the way she says it too is really funny because it's like he technically is a Roomba. He has to go plug in every single night, otherwise he's not going to work. And she's looking around for him, like, did you die again? Like, where are you? You know, did did you lose power? I can't find out where my droid is. And then, yeah, so she goes into his room. She goes into his room and and he has like a little stuffed bant. Cute. And this resonated with me because I also had a bant the toy when I was a little Ooh. kid. And it looks almost exactly like this stuffed bantha. No, but I like how he had a bantha because I like the um, the difference in toy, I guess. We'll get if you want to give it like a thing. So Jin whose parents were heavily involved in the empire had, lived on Coruscant when right when she was a girl have a stormtrooper doll or toy right so something that's still involved with the empire and then you have Cassian on this end who is not heavily involved with the empire they're very like outer rim like poor people kind of mentality and he has a stuffed animal it's like a bantha I don't know I just find that interesting that like there's it's a like a bantha it is a bantha um it's like a bantha <laughs> I don't know it's just interesting yeah, that just went completely over your head. Yeah, I have no idea what you're Have thinking. you just forgotten Book of Boba Fett? Yes. Okay. Unfortunately. That's a line from Book of Boba Fett, a show that you've completely forgotten existed. I definitely forgot it existed because I literally have a poster of it on my wall in my room and I still forgot it. Wow. Um, I got to put my Andor poster up that I got from Celebration. I need to get one for Kenobi and Andor. Anyway. I have one for Kenobi right literally behind me. Uh, we don't release these videos to the public but bradley can see in my webcam oh, my yeah. kenobi poster see my problem is i can't decide which kenobi poster i like so i don't want to spend the money in getting it and then being like i like this one or this one. you know what i mean like i don't want to get we'll see anyway moving on i promised we would talk about the timeline of the flashbacks so oh this is that moment this is that moment uh okay. when has become now and it's it's because of the patches it is because ah, of the yes. patches on the so- the people there. Marva identifies like that there's a Republic frigate in the coming to salvage the Rat. And I believe in episode three, she identifies these as Republic people. Okay. But they're wearing separatist patches. Those are okay. CIS emblems. This is super interesting because we don't know how ca- old Cassian is supposed to be in there. We know that he claims he's been fighting since he's six years old, but he looks older than six. And mm. and we also, there's questions about the timeline because the Clone Wars take place between, we know Cassian is 26 in Rogue One and the Clone Wars are 22 to 19 BBY. And Cassian is 26 in zero BBY. So Cassian has between, between four and seven when he's quote unquote fighting the separatists. The problem is he looks older in this, and there's also questions about the timeline. So the prevailing, there's some theories right now. Emily from the Divas Discord uh, posted a thing on TikTok, her TikTok, uh, at your weird aunt Emily, where she talked about 
her theory that this is taking place several years after the end of the Clone Wars and that people just haven't gotten the memo yet. I think it's supposed to take place during the Clone Wars and those are Republic troops and they're transporting a bioweapon, which is why they all have gas masks in the scene. Okay. And that they're disguised as CIS people in case they get caught. It looks like the CIS is developing a bioweapon. And I think the bioweapon leaks out and renders Canari uninhabitable. However, I think that what happened was prior to this slightly that the Republic came in, stripped Canari bear for the war effort the people fought back and something happened to all the adults which is why there's only kids and why that person in the first scene thinks they're going to be rescued or is trying to get their attention so there's a lot of questions about timeline and where these flashbacks are taking place and we know because in the trailer we saw clone troopers at one we point. saw clone troopers so i think the flashbacks might go further back yeah to explain but then i also think that it's possible that the guy that marva is with in episode three is cassian's adopted father and maybe he was fighting the separatists but that also would be too late right like it's very confusing the timeline is very confusing right now based on what we know i'm leaning toward every day i I vacillate wildly or oscillate wildly between how I feel. Today, as of recording, I think that he's about 10 years old in these flashbacks and they are taking place shortly after the Clone Wars. Okay, I believe and that it. not everybody has gotten the memo. Right. I've come around to that way of thinking because I thought it was taking place during the Clone Wars because the CIS stuff, there would be no need to. But now I'm thinking it's sort of taking place maybe a little bit after on the other end. We don't know. Right. We don't know is the thing. We don't know why they have CIS patches. We don't know why Cassian does not appear to be six years old. We don't know what happened to all of these kids. But there is a lot of questions going on about the timeline. And to sum all that up, I mean, he could have been exaggerating to Jin when he said that, you know. Six is such a specific time. To I was six years old. Um, because according to the timeline, he's six years old in 20 BBY, which falls right in the middle of the Clone Wars. Oh. So this is taking place in, you know, two years after the Clone Wars ended. And to be fair, he probably doesn't even know how old he is it's- because... It's also possible there's an, op- I just realized this, it's also possible there's an Operation Paperclip thing going on here. I will now explain Operation Paperclip. Operation Paperclip was basically the recruitment of Nazi uh, scientists by the United States after the conclusion of World War II. Because a lot of the scientists, they got over to do like science stuff for the American. And they would basically like grant them amnesty and sneak them over to the country and they would do a lot of research. It's possible that these were former CIS scientists that are now working for the Empire slash the Republic. That could be what's going on here, like in the same way that they recruited the cloners at the end of Bad Batch season one, that could be also what's happening here, that the Empire's recruited former CIS scientists. I don't know. See, I don't know. That's the problem. Anyway, we'll find out. Uh, Let's move on to the next section. Yeah. In the present, Cassian inquires about the cost of travel off-world. The Primor security team travels to Ferex to ambush Cassian. Meanwhile, the mysterious man makes his way into town by bus. So I... I want to briefly address um, one of the people in the scene. We're not going to do both of them because we're running over long as it is. But I want to address one of the people in the scene where Cassian is attempting to barter off. And it's a little alien. Well, the I was going to tell alien. you, the other guy The other guy hasn't been in anything. So it doesn't matter. Um, so it works. Yeah, out. not a whole lot. Let's yeah. talk <clears throat> about Kieran Shaw. 
Okay, we Jared need to talk Shaw about him. He's very important. Fucking badass. He's we need to talk about him. He's so important. <laughs> this dude is so goddamn cool. Well, yep. because I was like, I know that name from somewhere. Yep, I instantly I recognized him. I instantly recognized that name and I went, Where do I know? I know him as Frodo Baggins' stunt double and body double from Lord of the Rings, the Fellowship of the Rings. Of course you do. Of course I do, because of I'm obsessed with Lord of the Rings. This man he's has been in so much. It's insane. Uh, and he's either doing stunts or he's he's acting. Yep. Um, he's been in every single Disney era film. Yep. For Star Wars in The Force Awakens, he's Tito. Mm-hmm. In Rogue One, a Star Wars story, he's uncredited as Ulan Musters. Which uh, I don't know how we didn't woman, catch that the first time. The woman in uh, Jen Erso's cell with her, the alien woman. Right. That's this guy. He's been in Star Wars The Last Jedi as Neeper's Panprit. Uh, he's in Solo, a Star Wars story as Karj. And in Rise of Skywalker, he's Nambi Gima. He has also been in uh, Doctor Who. He has been in the Hobbit films. Yeah. Uh, he's been in Chronicles of Narnia. I think that's the first thing I remember him in, is that movie. He's He was in, re- he's an Ewok in Return of the Jedi. Yeah. He's in Dark Crystal. He's in Raiders of the Lost Ark. Uh, he's, this man has just like had an incredible career as a stuntman and a creature performer and just an all around like badass Dude, I do have to dock points. Uh, he was in My Personal Enemy, Netflix's, BBC's, Stephen Moffat's, Mark Gatiss's, Dracula. Oh my God, um, I could get to that. I was like, what are you talking about? Like, okay. it, is, it is a mild joke that I do with the name. I hate that fucking show. Got if it. you've listened to Dark Sedivas, you know that I absolutely fucking despise the movie Bram Stoker's Dracula uh, by Francis Ford Coppola. I hate the Dracula miniseries even more, but he was in that as well. Got so it. I will dock some points from him. So I can't seem to find, when I was looking at him up, I couldn't seem to find anything Marvel related. So unfortunately, does he not doesn't have, have he a Marvel He also has not that. been in a Disney thing, uh, but I'm going to give him just a trophy for badass fantasy work chronicles of narnia is a disney thing you you are 100 correct chronicles of narnia is in fact a disney thing <laughs> i was like that counts as a disney thing if not well i'm giving him points out. just for being an all-around badass dude who's been in a lot of really cool fantasy stuff he's been, he's been everything in- he he's essentially the that guy of star wars now because he's been in almost every film <laughs> at least in the more recent ones he's been in the uh, the disney era um for sure badass dude uh i love the pre-more fortress that they the roll up in the like cop fortress it's so fucking ugly it looks like a like a diamond or like a cube or something it doesn't look like it would the aerodynamic in any way whatsoever like it looks ugly in corporate it looks like something someone designed it oh it was it's perfect fucking hideous yeah, it's and great. I love, I love it. it. I love how fucking hideous it is. Uh, you know what else I fucking love how hideous it is? Cyril's speech. <laughs> so probably one of the funniest scenes in the show only because it's so awkward and it's it gives this hilarious energy of like, I've never given a speech. I'm not really in charge. I'm like only in charge by like my title. I don't know what I'm doing. And it feels like the employees are there like watching him give this speech. Like, what is this guy saying? Like, what the fuck are we supposed to? Can we just go? Like, can we? go do our job because this guy is being fucking lame as hell like <laughs> yeah oh my god it's it so really awkward funny. here's the thing about 
Cyril Khan. I hate him so much. I like watching him fail at things. Yeah. Like there's several points next episode where I was absolutely delighted by him getting the shit kicked out of him. But I also like secretly root for him, which is hilarious. Like I'm like secretly I want him to win. Like in this weird twisted way, I want him. So to win. I want him to win and then not know what to do with it. Right. I want him to win only so I can watch him fail spectacularly at winning. I was going to say, I kind of feel like what the, they would do is like something along the lines of like, oh, you took initiative here, join the empire. And then he finally joins the empire. And then it's kind of like, I don't know what to do. Like, I'm like, this is the big leagues now. Like, and I really don't know what I'm doing. Cyril is the type of person that the empire loves manipulating because he really genuinely seems to believe in law and order. And this is translated into his weird, obsessive, privileged bullshit that he pulls. And the empire loves those guys for the same reason they love guys like Brett. Because you're not going to question them. You're just happy to see them imposing a little order. Right. But Star Wars is not political. Uh, the scene on the shuttle where they're like taxing around. You want to talk about who is is playing uh, Willie? Yeah. Um, the guy that talks to uh, Luthen. So I, I'm doing this bit because the thing is really funny. So this guy has our first fake Disney trifecta. Really? Yes. I'm coining this term. This is called a false Disney trifecta because the third thing he has or the thing that is hit that would have completed his Disney trifecta is not the correct it's just titled the same as something that exists in one of the three categories okay. so it has no relation to any of the three big things it's not Star Wars it's not Marvel it's not um, Disney so he does the guy's have name, by the way is Ron uh, Cook Ron, Cook, Ron Cook is the gentleman he has 102 acting credits he is a that guy that guy right um, most notably I wrote down he was in the hot Fuzz movie with Simon Pegg. That's our Star Wars kind of connection there. Um, because Simon Pegg is kind of the new kind of uh On Star Plot. Wars guy. On so uh Ron Cook was in um a Disney movie called 102 Dalmatians. Uh one of my favorite movies as a kid. Uh don't ask me why the dumb sequel was my favorite. Uh I just like that the dog didn't because have you're any an idiot with no taste. Right. Um, so his false Disney trifecta thing that he was in. He was in 1995. He was in the Hawkeye show. (laughs) So hilarious. Um, It's just a random series called Hawkeye that he was in. Uh, No relation to Marvel whatsoever. So there you go. That's his false Disney trifecta that he's in. It's a fake Marvel thing. He's not really into Marvel. Um, But if he ever does do a Marvel thing for real, he would get one. We will we will credit him correctly. That's right. Uh, if he does a Marvel thing for real. Mm-hmm. Uh, but presently, he does not appear to have been in one. Did you notice, Bradley, our little alien Easter egg in the back? Uh, no, I didn't, actually. So the the two creatures that are sitting in the back of the transport, those are Aki Aki. They are the natives of Pasana from the Rise of Skywalker. Oh, nice. So mostly aliens we've not seen before showing up in this, but we, we have seen the Aki Aki before, and there's just a couple of them in the background of this ship. Nice. I like that. Uh, I just need to note that uh, I feel very strongly being stuck on a plane that is circling the airport. Okay. Uh, I do relate to this feeling very heavily. Got it. I also want to shout out the music again, because the music in this final scene is so fucking good. Uh, And Bradley, we didn't talk about this last time. We need to talk about not one, not two, but three prominent crew members behind the scenes of this show. Okay. 
so the show is being written by, executive produced by, created by uh, Tony Gilroy. Okay. Tony Gilroy has had a very interesting career. He is the producer. He's the writer. Sorry. He is the writer of the Born Identity, Born Supremacy, Born Ultimatum, and Born Legacy movies. Gotcha. Which we did bring up in our episode Which zero. Which we did we bring like, up. Yep. He, he is the one. He wrote He's The Devil's the Advocate. He adapted Armageddon. Uh, he has done a couple of different things. He was the director of The Born Legacy. Um, he has produced 26 episodes of House of Cards. Nice. So he produced a lot of the back, um, back episodes of House of Cards, it looks like. 27 through 52 were the chapters that he produced. Um, he also served as one of the writers for a little film you might have heard called Rogue One, A Star Wars Story. Tony Gilroy is responsible for vastly rewriting the third act of the film, aka the really good one. The part that you like. <laughs> uh, well, I've come around on the whole movie, whatever. We won't get there. Um, but that is who Tony Gilroy is. He is. He wrote all the episodes of this show that we can tell. Gotcha. If that changes, I will, let, of course, shout out anybody who wrote it. But um, it looks like Tony Gilroy wrote just wrote the entire show, which is fucking insane. Which is absolutely fucking insane for a twelve episode show to have one guy write all twelve episodes. That is extremely bizarre. Speaking of people who are doing everything because this is an insane production. Now Wikipedia lists this. IMDb lists something different. We're going to go with Wikipedia for now. Right now, Wikipedia and the end credits of Andor lists only one director. It is Toby Haynes is the director. Uh, Other than directing this, he has directed um, quite a few British shows. He directed... uh, an episode of Black Mirror. He directed a couple, yeah. five episodes of Doctor Who. Um, some of the really good ones from the day, from the Moffat years. He has directed, yeah, it's just a lot of British shows. Uh, for my 2012 through 2015 uh, Tumblr people, this is the guy who directed the Reichenbach Fall episode of season two of Sherlock. So this is that guy. He is the director of the entire Andor show. And there is one person, Bradley, that I want to spring on you because I want to talk about the casting director. Oh, I thought you were going to say like Kathleen Kennedy. Well, no, Kathleen Kennedy (laughs) produced the entire show. I know. I'm just kidding. I want to talk about the casting director because this is my favorite casting director. Oh, okay. The casting director for Andor is a woman by the name of Nina Gold. Nina Gold is a goddamn casting director legend. She has... 207 casting director credits and she's been in the business for 30 years love that she everything she has ever casted 100 nailed every time she is the casting director of indiana jones 5 she is the casting director behind uh i'm just gonna look at some of these that i noticed she is the casting director behind the crown and rise of skywalker behind chernobyl she is the casting director for the entirety, start to finish, of a of Game of Thrones. She's casted all of, yeah, it looks like all of the Star Wars 
that I can not Rogue One. She wasn't the casting director for Rogue One. Well, then who is she? She's a nobody if she didn't do that. But she's done every other Disney era one: Force Awakens, Last Jedi, Rise of Skywalker, and Solo. Good for Uh, her. This woman is a goddamn casting legend. Uh, She's incredible. So if you're looking at the casting of everything, you're going, "Oh my god, this is so good! Everybody's perfect." Nina Gold. Nina Gold is the reason why every every person cast in this is so fucking good. She's golden. She is golden. She truly is golden. All right, Bradley. Now we can do final thoughts. Final thoughts. Okay. Oh, well, I'll let you start. What are your final thoughts? Because I don't have very many. <laughs> Uh, my final thoughts are it took longer to cover this episode than I thought it was going to. This episode is longer than the actual episode. This episode like, is like almost three times as long. <laughs> it's almost three times as long as raw recording, almost three times as long as the actual episode itself. So brace yourself, folks. This is the kind of Andor coverage we're in for. Right. Um, I mean, it's good. It's very much a middle chapter. Good. I really don't have anything else to say about it that I haven't already said. Uh, Bradley, what are your final thoughts? Yeah, my final thoughts are, I mean, there was interesting people in this uh, one, at least the new people that weren't introduced in the first episode were like at least substantial enough for us to care. Um, We got the new character of Mosque. We got the new character. uh, Actually, he was the only one. Uh, It was just the... That I can no, think we of got that. Marva. Oh, Marva. I'm sorry. Sorry. Him and Marva. Luthen. Him, Marva, and Luthen are like the main. Those three, are the so. main ones that are in. So those are the main ones that we needed to get. And I'm, you know, we got them in the second one and they had their moments. So I think that was good. And that's all I can say until episode three. All righty. Well, we will be back in one to two business days with episode three. Bradley, you're waiting for me to say run the sessions. I forget I have this power where I can hold the episode hostage and Bradley's just kidding. Thank you for listening to Gold Squadron Gaze. Did Charles fuck something up? Send us a message at goldsquadrongaze at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at Gold Squad Gaze. Follow us on Instagram and TikTok at Gold Squadron Gaze. Subscribe to us on YouTube at Gold Squadron Gaze, where we post the podcast as well as exclusive content. Please join us next week and every week for more of Gold Squadron Gaze.